Look at 1 Corinthians 3. Let's start at verse 10. Paul's picking up the argument. He's in the argument all the way through chapter 4. My ministry versus my opponents. My opponents, and it gets intensified by the time we get to 2 Corinthians. They're calling him a lot of names they shouldn't call him. They're, uh, they're despicable. Eventually, a party grows up that is despicable to Paul. But what he's arguing for, if you don't understand, you've got to get the argument. He came to Corinth and he preached the gospel. The gospel, you think, oh, that's so simple. It's not that simple. Uh, the gospel is, saves you every day. The gospel is everything the cross bought. Uh, it's more than he was crucified, buried, and rose again. That's the historical facts. The gospel is our whole message of salvation. It all rests on Christ, what he accomplished at the cross. The gospel, that it's the measure of everything we do. If we do everything, but the gospel is subordinate to our programs, it's over here in the corner, and we don't talk much about Christ, uh, it's all uh, a bunch of uh, waste. And so Paul is saying, I'm defending my ministry because I hear you're going by the way of worldly wisdom. You're thinking like worldly people. You're thinking like people that don't even know God. And I'm trying to set straight a church God used me to plant. And so he's writing the defense. He's trying to adjust them to the will of God. So now he continues his argument. By the grace of God, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. Literally, the word architect. And someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit lives in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is sacred, and you are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any one of you thinks he is wise by the standards of this age, he should become a fool so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about men. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life 
or death or the present or the future. All are yours. And you are of Christ. And Christ is of God. We want to consider, first of all, we are builders together with God in a building program that's been going on now for 2,000 years. Christ said in Matthew 16, future tense, I will build my church. Israel is not the church. Israel already existed when he said that. I'm going to build a church in the future on the basis of my death on the cross and Jew and Gentile will comprise it, but it will be a church that I will build and not even death shall succeed against it. And so Paul is talking of this church and he lays emphasis on several things. Number one, what is the foundation of this church, which he calls a building? What is the foundation? Two, he discusses the builders, and he discusses it this way, that someday there's going to be a quality inspection of how you built the building. Uh, the county inspector is going to come around and see if you built according to code or if you broke all the rules to throw up a shack. And he's going to test you to see what kind of materials you built with, and he's going to test it with fire. Are you building with fireproof material? Two, he's going to test the quality of your workmanship. Uh, did you just throw it together? It uh, doesn't matter. Just do it. Just get it up. He's going to test the quality of your work. Uh, thirdly, he's going to tell us what we're really building. We're building a temple of living stones that some are seeking to destroy. And so he warns about that. And then he concludes, and we make an application of three points, basically. Uh, number one, we ought to be humbled that we can know the wisdom of God. Two, we should cease being about men and become focused and consumed with Christ. And thirdly, instead of a parceled out kind of relationship, just know that every good thing God has, whether it's Cephas, Paul, or any other great Bible teacher, or any other great worker, you get to claim them all as yours, as long as they're in Christ and you're in Christ. I don't have to pick this label. I don't have to be a Presbyterian. I don't have to be a Pentecostal. I don't have to be a Baptist. Everything good in all those groups is mine in Christ. If they know Christ, they're mine. You don't claim them, but God does. And there's a lot of folks that got a, the baby talk, uh, Lewis Chafer used to say, the baby talk of the church is sectarianism. What label do you wear? You know what? Who cares what label you put on an empty can? The thing that counts, do you have anything in your heart? Do you really know him? It's not labels that get you there. It's knowing Christ. Well, let's begin the foundation here. Paul says, uh, I laid the foundation. I planted the church there under Christ as an expert builder. And I know others have built on it. Apollo stayed with you. 
uh, the next pastor. It's really twofold focus. I think the number one focus by interpretation is probably the leaders and pastors and teachers of this church would be its primary interpretation. I laid a foundation, a master builder, not just the people. I think he's really pointing out to Christian leaders that take over churches. I think that's primary. Secondary, we can talk about every believer in the body of Christ is working on this foundation. What is your contribution? But it really shouts to us guys that are pastors and teachers. Is the quality of your work in keeping with the quality of the foundation? Um, I don't know of anybody that buys a house because they're impressed with the beauty of the foundation. How many of you women have even seen the foundation of your house? Have you ever gone underneath the house just because you wanted to be sure it was on a good foundation? No, 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 no. You, you want to see if the master bedroom's big. You, you want to see if the kitchen is just right. You know, the big thing now is got to have beautiful bathrooms. You got to have a, an exquisite kitchen. Did, ma'am, did you know that termites are in your foundation? Oh, take care of it. I don't care about the foundation. I want to see what's in the kitchen. It took a month to just lay the foundation in my house. I had so much cement because I had retaining walls. And I, I went on a trip and I came back. And after a month, I said, come on, when are you going to get to wood? He said, well, we had to pour 125 yards for your foundation because we put huge retaining walls and, and all this stuff. I said, well, come on, I want to see something get done. And the guy said, buddy, everything from here on rests on what we've done. If you're not right here, the rest, I don't care how beautiful it is, is shabby. And Paul said, God's church is built on the foundation that he laid, and he's been explaining for three chapters what it is. I built the church on Christ crucified. I built it upon Christ, not Greek philosophy, not on worldly wisdom, not on what the world's uh, stuff. I built it on this gospel. Christ alone is what the church is built on. It's not built on Mary Baker Eddy, and it's not built on the name of the leader of your denomination. If it's not built on Christ, no matter what else, whatever labels you've got, it will fade when the storm comes because you're either building on sand or you're building on a solid rock. And the storm will reveal what your foundation's made of. And he said, we laid one foundation... Christ. Now, this whole theme, you take 1 Peter 2. He said Christ is the chief cornerstone. And he added you and I as living stones in this building. He uses this same picture of the temple of God in 2 Corinthians 6. You are the temple of God. So he's laid a foundation to build this. I ask you uh, the old song, uh, what is your hope built on? Mine is built on Jesus Christ and nothing less than his blood and righteousness. Uh, You'd be amazed uh, that the religious nature of man, you don't have to have Christ for people to want to come to something called church. 
the, probably the majority of church going on today is not built on Christ crucified, risen, and ascended. You can have, you know, you can get a nonprofit status very easy. Just be religious of some sort. And I hope you're not naive as to think that everybody's preaching Christ. Paul says to them, no matter what else you builders are doing, know that I lay the foundation when I came from Athens to Corinth in Acts 18, and I like, preached the gospel, I preached the effect of the cross, what he purchased, uh, that the church is a divine group of people that have put faith in Christ. This is our foundation. We might differ over baptism. We might differ over eschatology. We might differ over this and a lot of other issues. But what is the foundation we must agree upon? Christ Jesus crucified, buried, risen, the only atonement, the only bridge from this life to heaven. It must be Christ. He goes on to say, uh, everybody is there, gets their chance to build on this foundation. And he says in verse 12, talking about the builders, uh, if any man builds on this foundation, and notice, first thing goes after, what he uses to build with. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones. Now, we, we don't build homes out of this. He's using an analogy and a comparison. And he, he goes from greatest value right down. And what you must really see takes in this life, gold, silver, precious stones are, are the most imperishable things we have. Oh, we know how to put enough heat today to melt these things. But think in the ancient world, gold was lasting. You can melt it down. You can pour it into different things. But, but the substance would still be there. So he says, some of you are building and you've got different material. Some are using gold, silver, precious stones. Others are using wood, hay, and stubble. Now, this is the most visible stuff, gold you dig out of the earth. It's not laying on the surface. Uh, let me give you a comparison. Gold is permanent. The wood, hay, and stubble is passing, temporary. The wind can blow it away. Uh, gold and silver stones happen to represent beauty, uh, intricacy, uh, Wood, hay, and stubble just ordinary, even could be uh, ugly. One is valuable, the other is invaluable. One is hard to obtain, precious stones, gold, and silver. The other is easy to obtain. Well, what is he talking about? What are the building materials? What would qualify? Well, there's several views. Some say, well, it's your works. Okay, what kind of works? What was the foundation made of? Paul said, I laid it. What was it? It was correct teaching about who Christ was. 
And I think the majority of uh, expositors see that the building on top of it is the quality of teaching handed on to the people on top of this foundation. What have you been taught since you put faith in Christ? That's number one. Otherwise, when we say works, uh, your works either have the quality of uh, gold or wood, hay, and stubble. Um, that, that's true, but what kind of works is he talking about? He's talking about teachers and preachers that build on this foundation. What kind of uh, substance? What was the... Uh, I know a lot of men that are good talkers who have nothing to say. And say a whole lot in church. I'm amazed at how much I've heard in church that was nothing but wood, hay, and stubble. There's little substance. The music might have been good. The emotion may have been high. But by the time it came to the teaching and the expounding of the word, it was wood, hay. Everything was showy. Everything might have even been big. But there was nothing there that seemed priceless. Something that was dug out from the word of God. How many churches are being built on the solid teaching of the Word of God on top of the foundation Christ Himself. Now, what other works would you be talking about? Good works of whatever quality. But I think in keeping with the foundation that was laid by an architect named Paul that he laid the sound truths, he said, now, however you build, you better build on these foundational truths and build something. It matters what is said. It matters what is taught. It matters how people are instructed and how they are led because God's going to measure the kind of material you build with. Some ministries... Uh, represent wood, hay, and stubble. You know what? There's no work, Harley, in what their ministry represents. There's no perspiration. There's no digging out truths. Uh, This is a common one. Well, uh, you take it that way. I'll take it this. It really doesn't matter. I just love Jesus. Well, why don't you find out what it means? Don't you think God knows how to speak without stuttering? Don't you think truth matters? Truth and here, what was the competitors? Some of you are taking them back to Athens. You're raising the church on Athenian wisdom. Why does he keep taking it on? It was a serious threat. You're caught up with orators. Paul said, you, you say, I'm not a good speaker. You call me an ugly little Jew in 2 Corinthians 10. You make fun of me. I wasn't impressive enough. Well, let me say at the end of the day, God's going to measure what both groups teach. And some's going to burn up and some's going to last. What are you passing on? How are you building? And it's true of your own individual life. Someday God's going to test everything you've done since you became a Christian to evaluate what you did with your time since you've been a believer and put your faith in Christ. What in that has any quality that will last? I confess something. Here the other night, Friday night, uh, uh, we went to, I, I don't watch TV very much. I just, I'm just bored with it. So I read. But it's a lonely life because Carolyn stays in the front room with her brother. But, and I'm over here dying in loneliness. And, but I, I, I go to our room and read. But I thought, I'll watch a movie uh, with my wife on Friday night at the house, you know. A little diversion. 
But I picked a uh, 1920s gang war. I've always been intrigued by mafia. I, it was one of my ambitions, you know. Uh, and I've always kind of liked that. So, so I watched this. She goes to the other room because she's a Hallmark fan. I'm over here. And when I finally clicked it off, I thought, what a waste. Uh, I saw Luigi kill at least ten guys. They had it coming. They double-crossed. Cut in there on the games. And were cheating on the horses. And I just watched this. I thought, isn't this wonderful? I'm getting ready for the pulpit. I've seen ten guys killed. Luigi's throat slit. Uh, the gal sleeps with anybody. Lord, I love you. You're everything you are. And then the psalm came to me. I will set no evil thing before me. I thought, what a waste of my time. I think I'm still going to heaven. I was just begrudged by the waste. Is that all? What did you get out of it? Well, you better be packing. You know, there was not one virtue. There wasn't one vibe. And, and it exposed the dummy I am. There wasn't a virtue going on in me to see it. How could that feed my soul or even entertain me? What did you see last night? Fifteen people killed? Man, it was good. I see guys all the time going, man, you ought to go. They killed 50 people within an hour. Oh, are you a pacifist or a criminal? Well, I'm just picking on me. But he's going to measure. This is scary for guys like me especially. And then you. I've been pastoring for some time. And if I understand these words, Christ is going to measure the way I have taught this church. And my entire ministry is going to be evaluated by fire And he says, everything in it that he sees as wood, hay, and stubble, worthless, of no value, flammable, will go up. And some of us will do good not to be consumed ourselves. He said, some will be saved even though everything they invested their life in goes up in flames. Don't you see that with people who pour their whole life in some vocational track? Maybe to be a a musician, play in an orchestra, demands great discipline and hours. And say, my whole life was poured into one thing, or science. God wasn't there. God's going to test. But this is talking to believers. What are you pouring your life into? What are you pouring your life? And he's going to evaluate it. Then he says, let me warn you. Um, there are people that may seek to destroy you. And he comes to verse 16 and 17, and he says, don't you guys know that you're the temple of God? That's a very important phrase. Christ got crucified for that very statement. He said in John 2, I will destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it again. And the Jews thought he meant Herod's temple. And for this, they eventually got him nailed in court. He said, this man is blasphemous. He said he'd destroy the temple and build it. 
But John says, this spake he of his body. Now, ever since the Enlightenment, nobody talks about temple. That is pagan religion. But for probably centuries, both pagan and Jews thought of temple as a place where God and man could meet, where heaven meets the earth. And so the pagan world had temples everywhere, everywhere. They were building temples. They still do in the east. I mean, pagodas everywhere, temples here, temple there. A sophisticated Westerns, we don't think it, it's archaic language and concept. But no, not, not in this world, not, not to the pagan Jews, not to the pagan Greeks, rather, nor the Jews who would think of Solomon's temple and, and the Shekinah that left. And what a great heartbreak to the nation to be dispersed and, and the temple to be ransacked. But all these Gentiles grew up with temple. And why was temple a big stuff? It was this. Man in his worst state keeps thinking there's got to be something behind what's going on. Uh, there's got to be more than uh, sex, food, work, children, sleep. Surely there's something out there. Even a good atheist betrays himself all the time because uh, he may have a moral qualm about something. There's a lawgiver out there. Natural law. Just what? What's out there? What's out there? And this idea of temple was we build a place where when we come as the worshipers, we're hoping that whoever's beyond the realities that we've seen, the wood, the stuff, the life, if there be a God out there and they all believe. See, the ancient world was not atheistic. They were polytheistic. Many gods. The gods were in everything. They weren't atheist. They were polytheist. Many gods. Very religious. And so they came to temple. They'd bring their sacrifices. They'd offer their children in some religions. They would do whatever to get in touch with the God that was transcendent above it all, where can we mediate? Let's get a priest down here that can build me a bridge from me to the gods that are out there. You did it at the temple. Now, what Christ said in John 2, I am heaven come down to earth. I am the bridge for you to get from earth to God. I am that bridge. I am the dwelling place of God. But now watch. The temple is crucified. And now of all things, he says, the head is gone to heaven, Christ. And now he's building a people for himself. And he's now saying, you as people who have put your faith in me constitute a holy temple, which means local churches are intended by God to be places where heaven touches earth. And you come together as God's living stones. It doesn't matter if there's 10 of us. There's a thousand of us. We come together, and when we come together to worship this God, to praise Him, to honor Him, God says, You constitute 
a holy temple down there. And guess who indwells it? The Holy Spirit. Well, wait, wait. We meet in a storefront building. I went to church for years at a storefront building on San Pablo Avenue in Berkeley. I mean, where you would sell clothes. Bunch of holiness people. We went to this little dumpy building, dumpy surroundings. But God says, the surroundings won't matter to me. I will live among my people who, when they come together to worship, constitute something as great as Solomon's temple to me. I will be in their midst. Now, 1 Corinthians 6 is going to say your body's a temple. This is you, plural. You, plural. A local church constitutes a holy dwelling place for God. It's for heaven and earth. You know what that means? We ought to be inviting unsaved people. The New Testament assumes we'll bring unsaved people to church. He told them in 1 Corinthians 14, don't be talking in tongues when the uh, unsaved pagans are among you. They'll be confused. So get your church meeting straightened out so that a visitor from the world, a pagan, comes. They'll see order. They'll be able to understand what's said. So our services have to be intelligible enough that an unsaved person says, I I figure out what they're doing. It's not spooky. It's not weird. It's not off the wall. And they actually can talk into my world. You don't know that, but that's what that book of Acts. They always had people that run saved in their churches. All the time. We've been taught they won't come unless you entertain them. No, no. Bring them, love them, and let them see us adore Christ. They can figure it out. Guess what? If you don't show up, according to Ephesians 3, angels show up. For angels are observing local churches to see the manifold wisdom of God in action. And I don't know, hey, whoever you are in here, angels, I don't know your name, but welcome to the service. First Corinthians 11, women, adorn yourself in such a way that the angels will see that you're in submission to authority. They, you, too spooky for you? You know why? Here, here's why. Since the Enlightenment, we've done away with supernaturalism. There's a lead ceiling over culture. There's no God out there. If it cannot be empirically figured out or rationalistically figured out, it's not true. You guys are into folk religion. You act like God's there. Yeah, that's right. You act like angels could be in the meeting. There can't be angels. Oh, it's not the people for sure. There are angels. God said that. But... You and I are constantly... See, that's why people say, I don't believe in miracles. Can God do a miracle? No, he can't. It's not rationalistic. It's not empirically possible. Who taught you that? Enlightenment. I can trust human reason more than divine revelation. So, Jonah couldn't have been in the mouth of the fish for three days. It doesn't, it just, it could not be. I mean, we've never scientifically pulled that off. Throw a scientist in the mouth of a great fish and keep him there three days. Come back and examine him. Take the little thing out of his ear that we plugged in to see if we could track him. And, but he came out dead again. Can't happen. Any volunteers for the project? They call it the big tuna operation. Jump in there. If we can't do it, God can't do it. 
And I hear him say to Abraham, Is there anything too hard for me, Abram? You're saying that this God can't make an old man and a barren woman have a baby. Is there anything too hard for me, Abram? Jeremiah said the same. Is there anything too hard for God? Oh, you don't know how lost my unsaved loved one is. You don't know how lost. You don't know. Wait, quit buying into the enlightenment and the wisdom of this world. Our God did an exodus. Our God raised Jesus from the dead. Our God took a bunch of wretches and turned us around. Hey, we ought to be advertising a supernatural God. And any place you can go on this earth to sense there's a supernatural God, it ought to be at God. God's local temples. Right here. We're a temple of God. Now see that language, you say, are you calling us a mosque? We're not Muslim. We don't use temple. The the hilltop assembly used to be full gospel temple when it was downtown Richmond on Bissell. Full gospel temple. You know what? I thought, ooh, that's a little little high church. I don't like that temple. Now I repent. That's a great title. A local church. You know, they had, I heard the story years ago about these two guys. They were laying bricks. And they asked this one guy, he said, well, what are you doing? He said, I'm laying bricks. They asked the other guy, he said, what are you doing? He said, I'm building a cathedral. See, some just, what are you doing? I'm just teaching a bunch of brats. I hope they'll behave. Oh, you are. What's, what's the other doing? I said, well, I'm trying to reach some kids for Jesus Christ because I think God can put them in the body of Christ and he just might use them. Uh, or like building material. Uh, you know, uh, if it's for Jesus, anything would do. I see these offerings, you know. I watch churches. We had a guy one time, when we were in the theater, he came up and uh, it, it was offering time and I would just have to be sitting there. One of our men uh, was there and, and I heard the guy say uh, can you make change <laughs> change and, and, and I thought well boy he must have a hundred dollar bill it was five <laughs> want to change for a five and bless his heart one of our dear ushers says we don't make change in this church we'll take it all right now he didn't do that but he did say we don't make change but he should have just grabbed it because anything for God will do. I've heard these stories about what we give the missionaries out of the missionary. Uh, you know, they used to have places for clothes and things like that. Um, anything you don't want, give it away and we can give it to the missionary. And anything for... This is exactly what he faced in Malachi's day. He said, you're offering things to God you wouldn't give to your governor. Some of you are so cheapskate, he's saying. That you offer to the king of kings what is not worthy for a human leader. He's telling them we're building a temple. A temple of the living. Local church work is divine temple work. And when you see people added to a local church, I don't care what size it is. doesn't matter. Uh, When I go by this little Pentecostal church down here, when I'm coming in, many mornings I pray, God bless that pastor today. May they preach the word. May they just get happy in Jesus. All these temples, there's thousands and millions of them on the face of the earth. And God says, 
go there like a city of refuge when you want to come and contact with heaven. When you're sick of TV, you're sick of tech, you're sick of texting, you're sick of everything in your ear, and you want to sense heaven coming down, go to a local church where Christ is the foundation and he's being preached. You may come in contact with heaven. That's what our local church is about. And we don't want to build with cheap material. I just did a men's breakfast a while back, and a guy came up to me afterward, asked questions, and uh, he got to talk. He was all upset about something, and he wanted me to straighten out their pastor. And, and it's always easy to straighten out a pastor when you're the guest speaker. Because uh, I know everything if I'm 10 miles out of town. It's when I come home that I know nothing. You start all over. Every time I'm ready to go on the road to tell people how to build a church, we have another crisis. So God just keeps your head shrugged. And he's, he was griping about the church and everything. And he didn't want to. I said, what's your problem? He said, oh, man, our church just built a $13 million building and this and that. He said, I just can't imagine. And he said, I don't want to support them. I said, in other words, you wouldn't go to Solomon's Temple. He said, what? I said, what do you think Solomon's temple is worth? You cheapskate. If it's for God, why don't you enjoy it? Or is God so desperate that he can only live in a badger's skin tent? And David said, no, the ark has been away long enough. I'm going to build him a house. And think of this. Even if he says, I can't do it, I'm going to write a check and let the next one build it. It would be Solomon. I want something for the living God. And this is what Paul is saying. There at Corinth, I laid a good foundation. I built it on Christ, not myself. Now, you guys are coming along and you're using different teachings you're adding this. You're getting away from the Word of God. Maybe, maybe psychology is uh, misplacing Scripture. Maybe personality cults. Oh, you you got the Pauline teaching, and you got the uh, Petrine teaching, and you got the Cephas teaching. Hey, hey, let me tell you something. This is what he says in the end. Why don't you be willing to become a fool for Christ instead of being controlled by the wisdom of this world? That's what he's, his application. And uh, you know what? I could never be a preacher if I was worried about being politically correct. There's not anything I preach in this pulpit, Harley, that's politically correct. Christ is the only way to heaven. That will uh, alienate everybody. Uh, God says that, Christian, that a marriage was intended for a man and a woman. Just what he said. And I, I'm not anti. I'm just saying what I'm pro about. And, well, I'm not of that persuasion. Well, you're welcome to come. We pray heaven will work in your heart. Now, I'll tell you, here's a more radical one. Watch this. It's wrong to be living with your girlfriend and not be married. We're always working on the gay community. Let's talk about all of the sleeping around that goes on. I love Jesus with all my heart. How long have you been living with her? Well, about three years. We pray together. Well, you need to be a lot of confession. Uh, 
When are you, when you planning to get married? Well, uh, whenever Jesus leads us. He led you last week. You better get married now. Let's quit bashing this group and not be equal. It's wrong to have sex outside of marriage. I'm telling you, I'm politically incorrect. Because the Bible's always been incorrect with the culture it was written to. So who do we think we are? Oh, I don't want to stand out. I, I want to be friends to all. I want to be a fool to some because I believe in the cross. I believe the Word of God. I believe He saves sinners and we love all kinds. But at least let's say what we believe and love them in the meantime. But don't give up the foundation. Don't give up teaching an error in order to be appealing to a lost culture. But let us be good to them. If you're sleeping with your girlfriend here today, I'd like to meet you. Now, don't look up here and see who all comes up today. You're welcome in this church. Church is a good place to come if you're sleeping with your girlfriend. Good place to come. You can hear God's perspective. You can find out how to build a relationship with a person that will surpass anything you ever dreamed of. Because when Christ invades your life, He'll change even the marriage relationship. He'll change your bedroom. He'll change everything about you. You can't imagine what He can do for you. And I mean that. Second application point, He said, quit building your life around men. That's what He tells them right there. Did you notice that? He Paul's my kind of preacher because you don't have to guess what he's saying. That's another great art today. Stay so ambiguous, nobody knows what you said, nobody can be offended. They call it the morass of ambiguity. All things wait. So then, no more boasting about men. I'm of Paul. I'm of Cephas. I'm of Apollos. All things are yours. Look at that. How he destroys the exclusive spirit by finally saying, wait, every good thing is yours. Paul is yours. Cephas is yours. Apollos is yours. Life is yours. Death is yours. Things present are yours. All children of God in Christ, we get it all. I don't have to pick and choose. I'm just with this little uh, slice of pie over here. We're we're in the... No, anything that knows Christ, that preaches Christ, I can claim them. I can claim them. I think when I first started Valley, I was pretty exclusive. I really was. And I was pretty reactionary towards the Pentecostals I grew up with. Preached for them because I had to give up my ordination to start because I came to eternal security. But I love them. I was born again among them. I love the culture. I love the enthusiasm. I love the uh, warmth. Uh, man, I've been with so many other fellowships. They're like a, a, a floating iceberg manned by a frozen crew. And, and when you shake their hands, it's like, what do you believe? Well, do you cut it straight? I just grew to these people over here. Welcome, brother. We love you. Well, well, you don't know anything. That's why you're so warm. Once you get some doctrine, you'll get critical. You need to get over here with the right crowd. We, we, We eat up everybody. We spit them out, too. What about truth on fire? 
What about truth with warm emotions? What about truth that you need a handkerchief? You know, I've been with so many different groups. And I went as a biased believer to these groups. I mean, all of a sudden, I mean, I started out with Free Will Baptists for two years. Never knew them in my life. Found them to be wonderful people. Wonderful people of God. Then I wind up with these regular Baptist people and when they were in El Cerrito. Man, these people can't be saved. I see some of them wear makeup. They're going to hell. I, I grew up, you can't wear makeup. You know, we're holy. And all of a sudden I find out, I just see Jesus in them. Seem like they love God. How could that be? I'm telling you how prejudiced and narrow I grew up. We got it. Nobody else has it. Then I wind up with a bunch of German Mennonites. My lens, the president of the school would bust out praying, J.B. Taves. You might know Taves. Uh, he'd go in singing in Russian once in a while. And he'd get happy in the class. Thought, What's this all about? I'm trying to figure out Pentecostals and the Mennonites. But I found out it was in Russian. And escaped Russia, World War II, and came and wound up. And all these German Mennonites. What's a Mennonite? I haven't been around Mennonites. Is this anything like Midianites? No, it's Mennonites. Simon Minow, Anabaptist. And I learned their history. And man, born again believers. I really love God. But they're nothing like what I grew up. How could it be? If you're not like me, you must not be right. No, we probably are right. That's why we're not like you. (laughs) And then I wind up at a Baptist school in Denver to finish my master's. Boy, the scrapping group. But die for the Bible, couldn't stand Billy Graham. San Francisco, where Rich and I went. Man, these guys could teach the Bible. Teach the Bible, you wouldn't believe. I met guys there. And, and I re, I'm still in these Pentecost circles. I hugged my, I just talked to his son the other night. I, Dr. Shaver is such a great teacher. One day I'm overwhelmed. I go in there after, he's about six foot three, an ex-Navy boxer, this kind of a man. I said, Laverne, he's French-German, so he had that Laverne. I said, thanks, and I'm crying. And when I got through, are you all right? I'm all right. I'm blessed. I'm going to hug you. You know we don't hug. Well, I do. Well, when you grow in grace, you'll get over it. You know, he didn't say that, but he let me hug him. And, Thanks for these truths. I mean, I had more emotion in my baby finger than he had in his whole body, but he's brilliant. And I drove to that school sick, fever, because of the way he could teach the Bible. All these different places. And what held us together was the one foundation. Different labels on top, different distinctives, different emphases. But boy, it was an education to get rid of my prejudice. I want to say this. don't have time to enumerate that Charles Haddon Spurgeon died of a broken heart. He said when he nearly died, the fight is killing me. Because he saw the Baptist Union in London adopt liberalism. And men no longer had to believe Christ alone saved. They no longer had to believe the Bible was the Word of God. 
and he got involved in the downgrade controversy and he, uh, he died of a broken heart many ways. I like to say this. I don't know how long I'm here. That's in his hands. But I say this. When I face the Lord Jesus, I will say this. I landed in Pinole 39 years ago. And I tried to lay the same foundation that Paul did. I preached Christ. I said the Holy Spirit can change a life. The blood of Christ can pay for the worst of sins. And you can come as you are. You don't have to change your dress. You don't have to look like me, act like me. You just got to come to the foot of the cross and God will turn you inside out, change you. We'll accept you in grace in the meantime. And I want to say this, no matter who succeeds us, they will get their turn before the judgment seat of Christ and say, How did you build on this foundation? Was it Christ only? Was it good works? Or was it the gospel of the grace of God plus nothing? And I'm late, so I've got to let you go. Go.